Hello and welcome to another episode of the Wisdom of Friends podcast. Thank Thank you for tuning in. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for coming. This is a podcast where you get to learn more about your friends and community, their wisdom, their trials and tribulations, timeless insights and their secrets. Now, let's get into the show. Please welcome your host, Cal Aras. Hello, uh, folks. Uh, welcome to another episode of uh, Wisdom of Friends. I'm your host, Cal Ross. And today I'm really excited to be introducing you to a dear friend of mine. His name is Larry DeAngelis. Now, Larry is a senior vice president and executive at Donner Advertising. Donner Advertising is a an international firm that stands for Audacious Things for Ambitious Brands. Now, Larry has had extensive experience in branding and advertising and also helping healthcare companies, including Cleveland Clinic, University Hospitals of Cleveland, and uh, many other uh, specialty chemical companies like DuPont and Ashland. Larry also serves on the board of directors of McGregor in Cleveland, Ohio. And in this episode, we talk about the importance of branding and advertising and today's digital age the importance of authenticity, the importance of consistency, and the confidence needed to communicate effectively the messaging of your brand. Larry also talks about the incredible work that Donner Advertising has been doing in creating provocative ads for the opioid awareness campaign. The effort here is part of a larger year-long campaign created to flip the narrative of anti-drug campaigns. This is a really a fascinating conversation, friends. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. So pull up a chair and listen in. And without further ado, let's welcome the one and only Larry DeAngelis. So uh, good afternoon, uh, Larry. Welcome to the Wisdom of Friends show. I'm really excited that you took some time to be on this program. And let me start off with my first impressions of you. And this was almost, uh, I think it was like 10 years ago where we met for the first time. This was at the Toastmasters Club in Cleveland. It was uh, the Eastside Toastmasters where uh, we were part of this uh, incredible communications and leadership team. And I distinctly remember that I had given a speech to, uh, there and you were, you were one of my evaluators for that uh, speech and you had mentioned something that was incredible and that stayed with me for a long time and even I remember it now. It was, you said like someday you're going to be like uh, on those uh, television uh, infomercials talking about, uh, you know, your books and your uh, selling CDs and, you know, giving those kind of talks. And I was like, that's such a sweet thing to say that I really thought that, uh, you know, what an encouragement that you provided uh, as part of your feedback to me that, uh, you know, I could go on and uh, do all these public speaking talks when I was just starting out. And, and I really uh, thank you for that vote of confidence. And uh, I know I've been following your profile for quite a bit now. And you've made some incredible progress in your career as well as your leadership and communication journey. So uh, thank you for that. And uh, welcome to the show. Well, thanks, Cal. And I got a little nervous. Uh, I was concerned of what I might have 
put in your evaluation, but I'm glad it was, I'm glad it was positive and uh, turned out to be prophetic. But uh, yeah, good to talk to you after a long time, and thanks for having me. Yeah, it was all good, so thank you. So uh, one of the ways, uh, Larry, we kick off our show is, is uh, with a very simple but profound question for our guest, and that is, what is your favorite quote or philosophy that you live by, and how have you applied it to your life? Uh, you know, it, it's um, it's it's maybe a li- it's not the most profound, I guess, but I, I'm going to have to say it's the uh, keep it simple. Um, you know, in in the world that we live in, things are getting more complicated all the time. Certainly, in the business of marketing and communications, it's something new every day with digital technology, and it's easy to get caught up in the in uh, the weeds and forget that what we're doing in advertising and marketing is. Um, the means by which we do it have changed, but um, it's really the same thing people have been doing since the, the industry started. And I guess the same goes for, for, for the home life, too. Sorry, um, with two young children now, and, uh, you know, it's easy, to, it, it's easy to really get overwhelmed unless you just take a step back sometimes and say, what's really important here today or this week or this month? No, I like that. And I think uh, what you're referring to is, uh, you know, with all the information overload that we as, uh, you know, we as human beings experience today with the advent of uh, social media and then fake news, as some of us uh, call it, uh, you know, it's it's really important to know what is uh, really what are the priorities and like keeping it simple. I totally dig that. I think that's really awesome. So I understand, uh, Larry, uh, that you are uh, the senior vice president of one of the really uh, uh, well-known advertising agencies in the country, Donor Advertising. So, and uh, you're, you're one of the senior executives. And so, my question to you is, uh, and I believe you've been doing this for quite some time now. I remember you were working at Donor uh, when I was in Cleveland as well. So it's been quite a journey for you. So my question to you is, how did this journey unfold for you? Did you always know that uh, branding and advertising was your passion? Or how did that come about for you? Well, I, I wouldn't say always, but uh, but a lot earlier on than most people. And I, I consider myself lucky for that. Sometime um, in college, I, you know, I was taking... Um, communications classes and um, uh, a minor in psychology and, you know, came across a a, um, consumer behavior course. And, you know, that was really the trigger. And it seemed like the sort of the perfect mix of communications and psychology. And uh, before I graduated, I I knew that I wanted to um, get into the advertising field. No, that's great. And then uh, one of the I'm reviewing the website for Donor, and one of the things they uh, you know highlight on the website is that the 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 demand for audacity, which is consumers expect to interact with brands they love, and not just be interrupted by them. And I think in today's uh, experience economy, uh, this is so important. Uh, as part of great advertising. And uh, so it seems like you did find your calling early on, and that really helped you uh, navigate your career and make the right choices to be doing what you love to do. So what I'm curious about, uh, Larry, is uh, now did you grow up in Ohio, or what was that childhood like for you? Describe us, uh, describe your childhood, and what did your parents do, and how did that shape your life? Well, I was... Um I actually was born um, in Pittsburgh, um, lived there until 
Um, I was just about one year old. Then my family um, moved to Detroit, and we were there until I was about five. Um, and then uh, down to Orlando, Florida, um, till I was uh, seven years old, when unfortunately my father died unexpectedly, and it was his career in um, hotel management that that kept us moving around. Now, um, if he had not passed so early, who knows how many places I would have lived in. But uh, after he died, we came back um, to Cleveland, where my well, not back for me, but back for my family, because um, that's where everybody was rooted. Um, so I've been I've been in Cleveland since I was. Um, 10 years old and my mom was a housewife until my father died and we moved back and um you know she went back to work um and you know uh, i think you know from that point forward i was i was kind of a latchkey kid and uh, i had two older sisters um you know not significantly older than me now but three four or five years when you're a little kid is a lot um so i spent a lot of time um alone I would say, and I think it 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 probably fostered um, a bit of an imagination, um, and probably one that serves me well when trying to solve marketing and branding problems that often are solved with a lot of information. But uh, you know, a little imagination is what can turn it into some magic. No, that is uh, really uh, great that you share that, and I, it must have been. Uh, I mean, I got to commend uh, you for saying that because oftentimes, uh, you know, or that, uh, the adversities that we face uh, can really strengthen our character, and uh, you know, it helps us hone in our skill set. That can be a, a gift that we can give back to the community and to the society, and it seems like. Uh, Growing up and uh, really uh, uh, being on your own in a way kind of like helped you uh, pick up skills like imagination. And that's really been one of the strengths of yours uh, as you uh, navigate the complex world of branding and advertising. And uh, so the other question that uh, it brings up is, you know, we've had so many guests on the show. And one of the common themes or the through line that we've noticed, Larry, is that most of these people are incredibly successful at what they do. But oftentimes that they have encountered certain challenges that if you ask an average person, they would have said that it's devastating or it's a major failure or a setback. However, these individuals that I've interviewed, I mean, they have looked at these failures or setbacks not as uh, a breakdown, but more of an opportunity or more of a stepping stone uh, or a platform for even greater challenges and bigger successes. So my question to you is, what were one or two biggest challenges that you faced in your life and uh, how did you overcome it and what lessons have you learned from them that has helped you navigate life going forward? Well, you know, the the one that comes to mind is just sort of getting started in, in a field that I knew I wanted to, to be in. Um, it, it's, uh, you know, it's not a big field, um, and especially if you're not in New York or Chicago, um, L.A., the big markets, you know, Detroit somewhat because of the uh, the automotive business up there. So there's not a, not a ton of jobs in it, and, and certainly that wasn't the case um, in Cleveland as well, um, you know, sort of a, you know, a kind of a secondary kind of industry. So, um, you know, picking the good news was I knew what I wanted to do. The bad news was there's literally a handful of jobs as far as, you know, getting your foot in the door. Um, 
and I I tried everything. Uh, I you know I I interned and I caddied for people that were terrible golfers, but I knew they worked at an ad agency. Uh, so I tried to get. I, you know, I tried to get cozy with them. I did everything I could and um, interviewed and interviewed and interviewed and really reached a, a point of um, frustration. I, you know, I kind of blamed it on, oh, I went to Cleveland State. I didn't go to you know, a big name college or whatever number of reasons. Um, but I stuck with it um, and I took um, a very humbling job um, sell- selling direct mail advertising, going door to door literally to dry cleaners and pizza shops and cabinet refacers. Uh, and anything else and, and walking in cold and trying to convince them to advertise and not only convince them to advertise, but convince them to buy an ad in a fabulous publication called JB Dollar Stretcher Magazine. Um, but, um, you know, I persevered. I did it for six months until something, op- one of the, one of the doors I had been knocking, uh, knocking on opened up, um, in an ad agency and it wasn't in account management as I wanted to get into, but it was in media planning and buying and having taken this job that I didn't want in advertising sales really teed me up for, for that. So, um, long way of saying just perseverance. I don't know if there's anything new there, but, um, it's easy to give up. Um, but if you keep pounding away, usually good things will happen. No, I like that. I think that's such an important message and it's like really the foundational, Trait to have, I mean, regardless of what career or what domain or industry you're part of, I mean, that is really, uh, really an important lesson for all of us here because sometimes, you know, we do have these big dreams, but the question then becomes, how do we even achieve that? And I think it's taking those small steps and not being afraid of uh, taking on smaller jobs uh, with a vision on the future. Uh, and I think what that's exactly what you did as far as taking on, uh, you know, having the dignity of labor, if you will, and taking on these uh, small jobs or ad hoc jobs to learn and caddy and, and uh, you know, really build your network as you went along. And then eventually you got into a point of, uh, you know, becoming uh, the senior VP of uh, a really a great company. And that's really awesome. And uh, so my next question is, uh, like growing up in Cleveland and Pittsburgh and having, uh, uh, you know, as you said, the latchkey kid, I mean, were there any uh, mentors or people that you, look, you looked up to or that you wanted to idolize or you wanted to emulate uh, or any shout out that you want to give out to any mentors of yours? Who would that be? Wow, that's, I don't know if anybody's asked me that before, Cal, and um, I'm I'm struggling to think of any um, until at least I got um, started in, in, in the business. Um, and, um, you know, growing up, I, I really was, um, I talk about imagination, but I think I was a bit of a loner, frankly. Um, I had friends, of course, but um, I didn't have a father figure, even a even a surrogate, um, whether it be a relative or a friend of the family. Um, but you know, I would say um, uh, if I do have a mentor in business, it'd have to be David Demuth, who's the um, now the C- CEO of the company. When when I started, he was just managing the, the local um, Cleveland office of donor and. You know, I think I think what he taught me was, um, you know, you're as good as anybody else. Um, it's easy in this business to um, let the reputation of your competition precede them. Um, but, you know, his attitude was always we were as good as anybody else. 
we're as smart as anybody else. Just have that confidence and that swagger, um, along with working really hard and really smart. Um, but that really, you know, working for him, and, and it's obviously served him well as he's, as he's risen to the top of the organization, but um, that really was a game changer for me to um, come into every new business situation or new client situation, not with overconfidence, but, um, you know, with the, with the knowledge that if you've done your homework, you work hard, you really can compete with anybody. No, that is uh, indeed an incredible belief to have. And, you know, oftentimes uh, we say that, you know, sometimes uh, we may not have the belief in ourselves. And, and, and the key is to then surround yourself with people who, who instill that belief in you until you get your belief, uh, in that area. And I think it seems like those were the formative years of your life when uh, his, uh, message and his mentoring or, you know, that really helped you, uh, you know, succeed in your life and your career. I mean, what a great thing to say is that, you know, there's nobody uh, out there that's smarter than you or better than you, but you really like you're as good as anybody else and working hard towards it. I mean, that's such, such an important lesson that we all need to learn because oftentimes, you know, there, there are these self doubts that creep in, like, you know, not having gone to like, you know, an Ivy League school or not working Working uh, for a Fortune 100 company or whatever that might be uh, that people may have, and but the thing is, you know, the self belief can really be a game changer, and that has been proven true in your case and countless others. Uh, so that's so great. Um, taking well, down, and, and, you know, the confidence, Cal, right? And it, it's, and I, you know, I wouldn't say that I, you know, I don't have my moments where I question, but. Um, you know, there's an old expression, it's not what you say, it's the way that you say it. And that's certainly true in um, a world that can be somewhat subjective, like advertising. Um, but it's, I, you know, it's why I found myself in Toastmasters. I, I, you know, it was, it was looking for that confidence to be as good a speaker as I possibly could be. Because I had, I had seen people that I didn't think were any smarter than I was. In fact, I thought I knew I was smarter than them. But they spoke with such confidence that people couldn't help but believe them. <laughs> mm. And, uh, you know, that's something I was searching for uh, as we were as we were in Toastmasters together all those years ago. No, that is so great. I think I, I totally uh, yeah, admire the fact that you mentioned that confidence. And, and then also what I'm hearing you say is, uh, and you probably mentioned that, like hard work, but I think the ability to keep con- continuously learning and growing and developing oneself, regardless of what status or what level we've achieved in our lives. I think that's where uh, the juice of life is, if you will, to, uh, you know, if you're in the industry of relationships and building relationships like with any business or honing your skill set or professional skill set. I think that's so important. All right. So uh, so my question to you is now, uh, now let's take a step down the memory lane there. So uh, growing up, like uh, any hobbies and interests uh, that you had uh, developed as a young kid, are you still pursuing that or well, I, I, I was a, I was always a runner, um, and you know, since high school, and I think it was um, for me as much mental as physical. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I ran one marathon, probably end up running maybe a dozen halves and countless ten k's and five k's over the years. I had to give it up because it hurt my back, uh, but that was a big passion of mine, and it, I, it was a time. Um, I, I would almost never run with headphones on. I would think I would have some. It would either it was almost meditation, um, 
or, you know, a, a place where I came up with, you know, a lot of thoughts, either personal or professional. Um, I've replaced it with yoga, which um, is, is a good, is a good uh, replacement. And um, the only other, you know, significant hobby I would say that's persevered is um, guitar, which um, it's a struggle for me, but a struggle that I've accepted and, and maintained because um, as much as I like, you know, the few times I actually have success, um, I think there's something about it where I know I'm not a natural, but I don't want to give it up because I just don't want to quit. Well, that's uh, that's great. Uh, so what kind of yoga do you practice? Uh, any uh, hot yoga, or do you, is that just uh, vinyasa yoga, or what? Yeah, mostly uh, just vinyasa flow. Um, I have done hot a little bit. The studio that I'm going to now doesn't really do doesn't do really do hot, um, or if they do, I wouldn't consider it, uh, you know, the true uh, super hot where you're, you know, a puddle at the end. But, um, yeah, I try and go in the morning before work, um, it's uh, it's good time, uh, little me time, and a good workout, and um, I never regret going. Oh, that's great! Yeah, because I practice myself quite a bit, like at least three times a week, and I do more of a hot yoga. But it's always been uh, very rejuvenating and reinvigorating after a good session. Uh, that's great. So now, uh, the other question I have for you is: Having traveled to so many places as part of your business trips, and you know, you said recently you were in uh, uh, Zurich, and uh, so what are some of your favorite places to travel? And uh, what about this place that you value so much? Um, well, uh, I'd have to say my favorite destination so far has been Germany. Um, it's been a while since I've been there, but um, I really enjoy. I was in southern Germany, Bavaria, and um, mostly in small towns. Uh, it's a beautiful place. Uh, the people were um, seemed genuinely authentic um, and happy, um, and it just—it's hard to put a finger on Cal, but it just—it just made me feel good to be there. Um, I loved everything about it food, the, the beer, of course. Um, and I think just that uh, um, the, the expression of joy I saw in people in the beer halls with the music and uh, it was really um, just just joy to be there. Yeah, it is. Uh, I, I can resonate with uh, what you're saying because recently I made a trip to Spain and uh, and and it's amazing to kind of get exposed to different cultures and just a way of life and authenticity and uh, and just the hospitality of all these different places we go to. I mean, it was just incredible. And I can see what you're saying as far as uh, the people and, uh, you know, the welcoming feeling that you get when you visit. So sounds like uh, you had a good time. Uh, very good time. Yes, thanks. Yeah, great. So the next question is, now having been through these ebb and flow of life, Larry, and uh, I've worked with so many uh, businesses and things of that nature, what's your, at this point, I'm curious, what's your definition of success and how would you define greatness as? Well, for me, success um, is uh, simply doing good work that improves the health of a, a client's brand and, and their business, um, being respected, um, you know, a, being in a position, I should say, of mutual respect between client and, and agency, um, 
having a, having a good team that's motivated um, and uh, just you know, fulfillment on a daily basis. Uh, yeah, I think I'm at a point in my career where I've worked on a lot of different types of accounts and businesses, some that on the surface seem exciting and sexy, but um, the, the day-to-day existence can be miserable. And, and sometimes it's, you know, the more pedestrian things or seemingly more pedestrian that um, really uh, are, are much more fulfilling. Um, you know, greatness in our business is, um, is, is rare. Uh, it, it happens. Uh, but, you know, those are those um, campaigns and platforms that we develop for our clients that um, truly are um, revolutionary for, for them and uh, put them in a position to succeed, um, either, uh, you know, saving them from um, demise or, or keeping them on top. It doesn't really matter. But uh, you know them when you see them and, and they truly change uh, if not you personally, how um, the masses uh, or at least their audience perceives them and, and changes their destiny. Great. I, I really like that, your definition as to, uh, you know, success being creating a healthy environment of respect between uh, the client and uh, the agency and and greatness uh, really enabling uh, the brand or uh, the client uh, to have uh, some kind of like a revolutionary uh, imprint uh, in the industry that they are part of. And uh, and sometimes it could take uh, doing a lot of due diligence and uh, uh, and and really uh, may not always be uh, that uh, uh, appealing and sexy all the time, but it's really take doing the hard work and doing the homework. And uh, and I totally like that. And uh, uh, my next question to you is, uh, you know, is what's your favorite failure? And what I mean by that is that failure turned into a major success. Uh, down the road, and this could be an example out of your personal life or even a professional life, you know. And to give you an example, uh, I'll give you my personal story here. That uh, when I was in my undergrad school, I applied uh, to come to the U.S. Uh, to complete my undergrad uh, education, which is I'd done like my freshman and sophomore year back in India, and I'd been accepted uh, in a university here in Michigan uh, to do my junior and uh, senior year. And all my friends were getting ready to leave India to uh, greener pastures, if you will. Uh, And I was the one who did not get my visa. So I was left behind and I was so heartbroken at that point. And and I was seeing all my friends leave and, uh, you know, go on to do uh, to all these amazing universities. However, uh, although it was devastating at that time, a couple of years later, I ended up applying for my master's program, and that's when I got my visa. And what did turn out was it was a blessing in disguise because I did not have the kind of student loans that everybody else had. Uh, And then it turned out really well for me. And so sometimes when I look back, I think, uh, you know, oftentimes it may seem like a failure, but it turns out to be a blessing in disguise. It turns out to be, uh, you know, something that, uh, turns out into success down the road. So are there any examples in your own life or in your business career uh, that you can uh, share with our audience? Uh, well, nothing that dramatic. Um, you know, I would say um, learning that uh, no matter how many times you've um, stood in front of a group of people 
and and deliver a sales pitch or a presentation of any kind that if you don't prepare, um, you will, um, if not fail, you will uh, regret it and um, certainly leave leave some things on the table. And I, um, one of my first, uh, this is going back over 20 years, early opportunities to present um, to the agency's biggest client on a, on a big stage. Um, I was young and cocky and confident, and yeah, the client liked me, and I had done a lot of good things. Um, and I winged it, and I choked. Um, and you know that ultimately drove me to Toastmasters. Um, and you know, to this day, <laughs> if I have a presentation, I'm practicing in the hotel room. Um, you know, to just get a little bit better. Um, because you can always be a little bit better if you rehearse one more time. Um, if you study the research one more time, um, you'll retain something, you'll remember to say something, um, and, and hopefully have uh, one, least, one less regret. No, that's great. Really great. I think that's such an important point. And that's something that I've noticed with uh, some of the professionals I've worked, uh, worked with in the past, even uh, even in my professional career, but as well as my uh, social circle where I see artists and musicians who are really world-class at what they do, but their emphasis on training and practice. And, you know, I think there's an old uh, uh, beautiful saying. I think it's something like, you know, the more... Uh, you sweat in practice, the less you bleed in war, or something like that. <laughs> I think it's the Spartan yeah, saying. Right. Huh? I said that sounds right. Yeah, exactly. And that's, uh, that's really uh, something that I've taken on for my life as well, as, uh, as it comes to public speaking and, uh, you know, doing professional level presentations and things of that nature. So, no, that's such an important point uh, to remember. Um, Moving on to our next section here, and these are some of the questions we have gotten from our audience. And before I jump into that, I know that there is a cause that you are really passionate about, that you've been, uh, you know, talking about it uh, on social media as well as taking a stand for in the community. And that relates to, uh, you know, the epidemic that we as a country, as a nation, have experienced in recent times to, uh, so why don't you tell us about that, and uh, why is that a cause so important to you? Yeah, so you're referring to um, opioid addiction, and, um, you know, I can't say that it was um, anything uh, I was personally impacted by, uh, rather due to some work that we had done for another <clears throat> um, social welfare cause, we were approached by uh, Cuyahoga County, which is the, the local county here that um, where Cleveland is and, and many other suburbs. And uh, one of the health systems here, Metro Health, uh, had formed a task force to address uh, the issue. Um, but they had a little bit different take on it. Um, you know, there's been a lot of awareness about uh, opioids by that name. And a lot of people are seeing um, the impact of people taking heroin laced with fentanyl and, and all these types of things on the news. But what hadn't been given much attention up till that point was um, that people were being people were taking opioids every day. Uh, way too many people were taking them. They just didn't know that name. They called it oxycodone or Percocet or something like that. And they were getting prescribed these drugs way too often by either their dentist or their orthopedist or um, 
some other type of physician. And an astonishing number of folks are getting addicted to them. Uh, then their prescription runs out. Uh, they go to the black market to buy them. They buy them on the black market or they steal them. One of the shocking things we learned was um, uh, real estate open houses were a big place where people would go, pretend to be looking at the house, and just go through the medicine chest and see if they could find some opioids to steal. Um, and it, it, somewhere down the road in this journey, somebody tells them or they discover that heroin is the same thing, only it's cheaper and sometimes even easier to get. Um, and that's where the switch goes to heroin, and that's where the overdoses happen, and that's what you see on TV. But there's this whole long line of things um, from a high school athlete that blew out his knee to a uh, middle-aged uh, construction worker who has a bad back um, to, you know, a stay-at-home mom that uh, you know, has surgery on her shoulder, whatever it might be. All these folks are getting, were getting prescribed opioids. Uh, and this is what was causing all these addictions. So they, they came to us uh, with this cause, um, uh, expressed to us what a big problem it was in the country, but also here in Ohio, which in 2016 had more overdose deaths from heroin, um, opioids, et cetera, than any other state. And Ohio is a fairly large state, but it's, I think, sixth in population, uh, but had more deaths than any other state um, and an absolute number. And Cuyahoga County had around 600 alone. Uh, so it's just a shockingly large problem that we, we, we certainly wanted to help if we could. No, I think uh, that's definitely uh, an important uh, aspect of society that we live in. And I think uh, what you just highlighted here is oftentimes it starts off with the innocent uh, uh, in the, you know, initiation into this uh, scary little phase where you get prescribed something for a back pain and then you end up, uh, you know, getting addicted to it. And uh, I recently had interviewed uh, one of uh, the guests that we had on the show. And uh, I mean, it started off similarly for him. And this was uh, uh, way back. And he's been, uh, you know, it was quite a journey for him to come out of that addiction as part of, uh, you know, like a rehab and things of that nature. But it was absolutely, as you said, it was started with a back pain and somebody recommended him these uh, uh, drugs from the black market or whatever you want to call it. And then that ended up, uh, you know, leading to addiction. So I think this is certainly a crisis that uh, we as a society need to deal with. Um no, that's uh, that's such an important thing that uh, you've taken a stand for uh, as a company as well as as an individual. Now, the next question I have for you is, uh, these are some of the questions we have gotten from our audience. And uh, so the first question, Larry, for you is, what stops people from achieving their full potential, in your opinion? Well, it's, it's probably a lot of things. Um, I think probably the main thing, though, um, is not pursuing their passion. I think if you um, are doing what you love to do, um, you know, you just inherently work hard at it and persevere. I think a lot of people and, you know, end up in a place where uh, they have a job versus a career and, um, you know, a job, you, you watch the clock and you, you punch in and you punch out and, a career, you don't have enough time in the day to get the work done. 
No, absolutely. And it's something that uh, it's important to find a calling. It doesn't matter uh, how long it takes, but you got to kind of like dabble into different things and figure out what is it that resonates with you, what speaks to you, and then pursue that. And I think uh, that can lead to contentment and job satisfaction. Uh, the next question I have for you is, I know, Larry, uh, you've been uh, married in, uh, for how many years now? It's uh, been close to... Nine, nine years. Oh, congratulations. That's awesome. And then you have two wonderful kids. Uh a son and a daughter, correct? That is correct, six and four. That's awesome. And so the question is, uh, what advice would you give to someone entering the world of marriage and parenting? Um, well, I, I, you know, I guess it, it, this is interesting, um, and I don't know if it's advice or if it's just the truth <laughs> or it's the right perspective to have. And, and for me as an older parent, it's been... You know, this is, I think, something that I'm going to say this, and it's going to sound maybe like a negative thing, but for me, it's been one of the great positives of being, um, you know, a parent and a husband is it's not about you anymore. Um, you know, um, you know it's, for me, it was kind of a, a bit of, in a strange way, a relief to know that, you know, my life now was really um, to be the best parent, the best husband I could be the best example I could be and, and a provider. And, you know, I, I didn't really care what anybody thought about me or who I was or anybody else other than, you know, these two kids and, and my wife. That That's really it. No, I, I really, really like that. I think it's really having a goal for yourself, a personal goal to be the best father and the best husband and, and you know, continuously every day living up to that ideal. And I think uh, that really uh, is such a great message that I think we can all learn from. Um, now, the next question is, what is... Uh, you know, I know you've been in the area of branding and advertising and marketing, but are there any specific books that you've read or reread over the years or you've gifted it to people that uh, you would like to share? Yeah, I just started reading one, um, and I'm going to grab it because I forget the author because I literally just started reading it, but um, it is quite good. Uh, it was somebody got it as a gift for me, actually. It's called The, the Attention Merchants um, by Tim Wu. Um, and it really, um, I think, does a nice job of, you know, historically talking about, um, uh, I'll say advertising, but it's broader than that. And um, with, uh, with the um, um, expansion of media and social platforms, the, the number of voices trying to get in your head on a daily basis um, is incredible and really how your attention is a type of currency these days. Um, and you just think about, you know, um, you had mentioned fake news earlier. I don't remember if it was before we got, uh, before you started recording or not, but uh, between advertising, the news, the fake news, social media, you name it, um, there is so much attention for, or so much um, competition for our attention um, and, and why that competition exists. Truly fascinating. No, that's great. And we'll include that as part of our show notes here. And uh, and this is a perfect segue to get into some of the business questions that we've gotten. And most of our listeners are, you know, small business owners and entrepreneurs or artists who are starting their own business. So the question is, uh, you know, what would you say is, uh, 
you know, a starting point or what would be your advice for some of these uh, entrepreneurs and the small businesses who cannot afford to hire uh, top agencies like uh, yours, for instance, <clears throat> to uh, start looking at developing a brand or a personal brand? What's what's the starting point that you would uh, suggest that they look at? Well, I, I think it's, you know, two things, I guess, if I if I had to give it a couple of buzzwords would be authenticity and consistency. I think there's, um, you know, um, everybody can find something about their business um, or their brand that is, is truly them. I think, you know, a good example of that is car dealers, right? I mean, these guys are often have some of the worst quality advertising in, in, from one perspective, um, that you could think of, but in every city, there's two, three, four, five of these car dealers that just have, um, you know, who they are. Um, you know, their voice, you, you know, they have a catchphrase, whatever it might be. Um, and it's, you know, usually ties back to their, you know, personality in, in some way. Um, and then stick with it. You know, um, I think there's a lot of, it's easy, it's easy to want to change things up all the time, but you know, when, when you keep hammering home, with the same message over the period of years, um, it really does uh, begin to stick. And I, and I, and I think the other thing about authenticity is I think there's a lot, you know, somewhere along the line in, in business school, you know, we're told to find the, the USP or the unique selling proposition. Uh, you know, look, every company brand business doesn't always have something completely unique. It's harder and harder to find something truly different about your offering. Um, but you can find something, you can find a truth about it that maybe, and sometimes it's a truth that you just hadn't thought of yourself and someone else can help you find it that can help help people remember who you are, what, what place you might serve. A, a good one that's topical is Arby's, right? I mean, that was a brand that when we were kids, they, you know, they had the, the big cowboy hat and it's where you went and got roast beef sandwiches. But you know, a couple of years ago, nobody knew what the heck they were anymore. They had roast beef sandwiches, but they had chicken and salads and it seemed like every day it was something different. They hired a, 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 a very famous agency called Fallon who came up with this idea of basically you're America's deli, right? And this line of we have the meats, right? And the first time you heard that, you said, what the heck? Um, but boy, it's turned their business around completely. Yeah, yes, indeed. And I think uh, you just highlighted, I think, the two most important aspects of any good brand. It's authenticity and consistency of messaging. And uh, now the next question, and if you look at, as you said, if you look at some of these iconic brands, I mean, we have today in our business world, like Apple or uh, Disney, I mean, instantly uh, there is a loyalty and a value that gets associated with that brand. And... uh, so my next question to you is, what's your take on personal branding? And what I mean by that is uh, there are so many solopreneurs or speakers or uh, individuals that are trying to branch out with their own, uh, you know, they're trying to car- carve out their own individual uh, segment in the industry, in the marketplace. Do you think the same consistency and authenticity message would transfer over to developing a personal brand? Yeah, I, I think so. Um, I don't. I don't know why it would be any different. I think the ones that we, um, you know, the famous ones that that we know, whether it be Zig Ziglar or 
who's the awaken the power within gentleman. I can't uh, Tony Robbins name. and yeah. <laughs> Tony Tony Robbins. I mean, there's a guy that's a you know he, he's a character. Um, he's got the energy. He's got the look. Um, you know, he, he's he's talking about personal power and and all these kinds of things. You know, the power sort of you know becomes his 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 go to his go to line. I, you know, I, I think it's I think it's exactly the same thing. Um, you know, and and you know, a good personal story like 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 he has, I, I think, is you know because he he embodies the, the the power of what he's telling you, right? Because if you if you believe his backstory, he was a complete mess. Right until he um, had the realization that you know positive thinking um, could reprogram um, everything that he did, um, and it, it transformed his life. So he's got the authenticity and he's got the consistency of you know he really hasn't changed his tone much in the twenty or thirty years I've been seeing him on at two in the morning <laughs> selling his books. <laughs> <laughs> No, that's that's so great, and I think uh, you know, and there are other examples like Ellen and Oprah, and uh, you know, they have been consistent with developing their brand, and and uh, so that's yeah, having a good story to tell, and then having the consistency of that message, I think that makes such a big difference. I know I'm looking at the donor advertising client list. I mean, you've had some amazing, amazing uh, clients here, all the way from Fiat and Jeep to Nescafe and. Uh, uh, Cox and it's it's an amazing uh, list of clientels. So the question is, and without giving away any of your IP secrets here, but what's typically your strategic creative process when a company comes to you says, okay, we wanna we wanna look at uh, doing some advertising campaign or we want to kind of like take our brand to the next level? Uh, what's typically uh, the high level strategic process that you normally follow? Well, you know, look, there, there it, it's it's had different names over the years and every agency has a process. And, you know, the reality is every, everybody's process is, is virtually the same. You, you start with um, intelligence and it's the, it's the most important part, you know, really getting, getting a hold of uh, the brand where it stands in the marketplace, where it stands in the hearts and the minds of um, its potential customers, where its competition starts, um, and, and where the opportunities are, and, and, and most importantly, where the, the truths of the brand intersect with the desires of the of the consumer or, or the target audience for them, and and then you know finding finding a message that um, you know speaks to that intersection, and 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 because then at that point you know it's true, um, and you know it'll it'll resonate in some way, and then you know once you have the strategy down, then then the the, the magic really happens in the in the creative process. But if we, as strategists, if we do our job right, um, we will hand the creative team um, something rich enough that um, uh, a good creative thought will come through that um, is memorable, but is also telling people something that matters to them. Because you can have a great, you can have a funny commercial, and we've all been there where I saw this funny commercial, who was it for? I don't remember. Right, because there was there was a link missing in that communications that didn't connect with people, um, probably because they didn't have anything to say. <laughs> so they <laughs> they ended up with a really funny commercial that people think was funny, but um, won't remember anything else about it. No, it's such a good point, and I think uh, it's uh, really. Uh 
you know, doing the homework, as you said, as to like really understanding what the brand identity stands for. And uh, because strong brands, as we all know, can create great customer loyalty and, uh, you know, it uh, increases uh, the focus uh, for marketing efforts and also supporting uh, with our trade partners and vendors and all that uh, important things that we uh, take for granted uh, when it comes to good branding. So, uh Moving on to uh, another question for you, and this is a hypothetical uh, question, Larry, and let's say we had a time machine, and if you could go back in time and talk to your young self, a 20-year-old self, what advice would you give him? Well, I, I think I'd, I'd, I'd go back to the conversation we were having earlier and um, give myself that confidence pep talk that... Um, you know, I didn't get till I was nearly 30 years old and uh, not that it was in a form of a single pep talk, but that realization, uh, you know, I think I had a lot of doubt about um, what I could do, um, who I could compete with, um, was I good enough, all of these negative um, sort of mantras that are that are easy to adopt. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I kind of consider myself a late bloomer in a lot of ways. And I, I, you know, I wish I had, I wish I had a dose of that, that confidence earlier in life. No, that's so great. So great. And I like that as like having that personal belief and going after your dreams. And that's so important. Okay, moving on to our next section. This is the rapid fire round. uh, And this is where I'm going to ask you a bunch of fun questions, Larry. And it's the first response that comes to your mind. And again, do I I have the chance to win money? (laughs) Well, we'll look at sending you the check. (laughs) Okay, very good. Uh, My people will get in touch with your people. So, (laughs) all right. So, uh, this is uh, again the rapid fire round. Feel free to elaborate on these questions if you feel, uh, you know, feel free to do so. But again, this is a rapid fire round. So, Larry, are you ready? I am ready. All right. So, the first question for you is, what rock star has impressed you? What rock star has impressed me? Hmm. I, I have to go with Mick Jagger. Was he 80 and he's still dancing? Yeah. <laughs> Rolling Stones. <laughs> uh, Hall of Famer. <laughs> <laughs> or Keith he, Richards. He's still standing. I think that's impressive. Yes, indeed. <laughs> uh, all right. The next question: Whose brain would you like to pick? Whose brain would I like to pick? I, I'd go with Freud. Um, mm. I think his his understanding of um, of the of the human uh, mind is. Uh, I don't know that I agree with everything that he um, that he wrote, but uh, he'd be a top of my list. No, that's great. And then the next question is, what is one thing that you do every single day or week to maintain your sanity? Oh, it's got to be yoga, Cal. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with that. I uh, Yes, definitely. Yeah. Uh, the next question is, the five most important things in life, according to you? The five most? Mm-hmm. Is that what you said? Yeah, the five um, most important things. Well, health. Health is uh, obviously the, the first and, and foremost. Um, I think uh, being at peace with yourself um, is the second. Um, uh, taking care of yourself, um, your health, eating well, and all that. Um, 
which then allows you to um, take care of other people um, and uh, uh, your immediate family and, and then number five, taking care of the world at large. Mm, that's uh, really great. Like that. Um, the next question is, do you believe in magic? Um, I believe in uh, I believe in magic, uh, not the kind that a magician would perform, but I certainly believe in um, magic moments, um, whether they be in the world of business or on the on the football field or, or whatever it might be. But I think you know those, those are powered by um, hard work and perseverance. But we all know them when we see them. Yes, I like that absolutely. Uh, like the single uh, block that LeBron James did uh, when, right. when the Cleveland Cavaliers won the championships. Now that is indeed, right. indeed, absolutely. Uh, but uh, I think the Browns are overdue for a magic moment for sure. <laughs> uh, all right. So uh, the next question is: uh, uh, If God exists, can she be trusted? Yeah, if not her, who else? <laughs> if you could ask God one question, what would that be? Uh, why are we here? Mm, I like that. And then the final question within the rapid fire round, and this is, if you could have any message of your choice on a billboard, what would that be? Love one another. Ah, I like that. Love one another. And that wraps up our rapid fire round, and then we are moving on to a wrap up section here. And I've just got three final questions for you, Larry. And the first one is: okay. What is your current personal or business passion project that you're working on, and what are you looking forward to in the next uh, six months to a year? Well, I think you know we're still we're still wrapping up the the work with the um, the opioid task force, and uh, we've got most of the materials created a lot of it's put in the market already we've got a we've got one more video that we're wrapping up and um now that we have all that content um we're really hoping to uh you know get the proliferation that we were hoping for um both locally here in in northeast ohio but the campaign is uh being made available um to anyone that wants to use it nationwide um so we're really in the phase of uh, publicizing um the campaign that we've created um, and hopefully we can touch people uh, not just here but across the country. No, that is great. And then uh, we'll include all that information in our show notes as well so that people can find out more about it. And the next question is three things you are grateful for in life. Um, I, you know, I, I would say having my mom still around despite losing my father so uh, early on. My, my mom's in her mid-80s and doing great, and um, it's certainly a blessing to have her around. Um um, secondly, uh, you know, having the, uh, um, the, the family that I have today um, with uh, my lovely wife and two children is um, just, uh, you know, everything is, is as good as it could be. And uh, uh, last, uh, probably our, our new home. We built a home about a year ago and um, something I always wanted to do. Um, so we're enjoying that now. Oh, great. Uh, like that. And congratulations on the new home as well. Thank you. And, uh, and so I want to acknowledge you, Larry, and that is uh, for a couple of things. One is uh, what you're doing with 
the the gift that you've been given the the expertise in your branding and advertising field uh, to solve a problem that we as a society faces with drug uh, overdose and drug addiction and and really and this is a great example of how you can give back to the community and give back to society um, and that's such a great thing that you're doing and uh, secondly uh, just being a role model for some of the younger generation and people in our community to see that you know it's okay to uh, uh, you know really have big dreams and going after it and then persevering regardless of what challenges that we may encounter and uh, you've really been a role model for all of us uh, in that regard so again thank you for doing what you're doing and uh, I really wish you all the best Thanks, Cal. It's been great to catch up with you. Yeah, absolutely. And one final question, and this is how we wrap up all our interviews, and that is, why do you think people should listen to the wisdom of friends? Because of you, Cal. (laughs) (laughs) In in, uh, all seriousness, I think the idea, as you explained it to me, is um, a smart one. Um, You know, all of those uh, brilliant ideas that... um, we share often with each other and, and don't capture and um, or don't capture or, or limit them to a small group. Why not? Why not share? Uh, thank you for that. And I appreciate it. Again, uh, really valued our time together and our conversation. And again, uh, thank you for taking the time to be on the program. And for those of us who are listening uh, with that, we'll wrap it up. And if you like what you heard, please share. Don't be shy. Thanks for listening to the Wisdom of Friends show with Cal Aras. If you like what you just heard, we hope you'll pass along our web address, theglobalcontribution.com. To your friends and colleagues, be sure to check out our archive section on our website for previous episodes. This has been a Seven Symphonies production. Join us next time for another edition of the Wisdom of Friends.